Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Week, you Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Australian Open quarterfinals catch-up. Zverev stuns Alcaraz to make the semis. Sabalenka sets up a golf encounter. And Rohan Bapana becomes the oldest tennis world number one. Kim, today is the 24th of January and we are here to catch up on the quarterfinals of the Australian Open at Tennis Weekly HQ. Our singles semi-finalists are set in the ladies and men's competitions. Novak Djokovic, Yannick Sinner, Daniel Medvedev, Sasha Zverev, Diana Yastrzemska, Chinwen Zhang, Coco Goff and Arena Sabalenka. That is your lineup. Some familiar names in there, some not so familiar names in there. How are we feeling? I'm feeling quite confident and positive about the predictions I made prior to the AO starting actually, Joel, because bar Yastremska and Zverev, I've I've got all of that lineup that you mm, just very announced. well done. Um just Alcaraz and Shriontek have let me down. Uh they are not to be seen. But um yeah, we'll obviously be getting into how this lineup got there, their quarter final action that we've seen over the past two days. And I think, you know, it's it's quite nice that, especially on the women's side, we have some surprise semi-finalists. It's, it makes for a, an intriguing um, semi-final tomorrow. It's so open and it means I can still use uh, the phrase doing a Radicanu because Yastrzemska is coming through qualifying. I didn't realise how close she was going out in qualifying. All her matches uh, were in like three sets. She was really battling away. Um, but yeah, she's, she's still in here. And um, I think I, I was reading Radicani, who's got to this stage as a qualifier. Yastremska has got to this stage as a qualifier at a Grand Slam. And you know the other other qualifier to, to get to this stage, um, semi-final of a Grand Slam since the year 2000? I do, actually, Joel. Uh, oh. I'm not going to let you beat me on this one. It's Nadia Podoroska yes. at the French Open. Completely uh, forgot. That, that strange Completely COVID forgot about year. her. Yeah. So, um yeah so so some 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 names there yeah so it's been very kind of surprising on that women's side and and almost very familiar i think on the men's side because we were very very close weren't we to having all top four seeds make the semi-finals which i don't think has happened in quite a few years yeah it would have been uh top four if alcaraz had, had made it but zverev serve had something to say about that yeah, so uh yeah that was uh well a highlight to, to watch that this morning uh well this morning uk time it obviously went on quite late yet again mm. uh down under um but joel i hear that there's been some vegemite chat the other day i was listening <laughs> in to you and chris and i i enjoyed mm. particularly your mention of vegemite and i'm a bit worried there about the um the the, the task you're you're yeah. setting for us well all, i i uh, wanted to get Sunday. your opinion i wanted to get your opinion before we get into this episode because i put it to chris um, whether we should do a taste test of Vegemite um, in honour uh, of Taylor Fritz uh, 
making the the quarterfinals and uh, uh so so i was all excited thinking about that and then i didn't actually realize we we don't think we can get vegemite in the uk i'm not sure actually as a non marmite slash vegemite sort of fan <laughs> i i've never actively looked for it but for the this is all the, the pod, more reason i want you to, to want you to to try it <laughs> i'd be willing to do it for the purposes of the pod and our listeners <laughs> to do a live taste test um mm. on the pod so yeah i'll do it for the purposes of the pod um, it be i would the world I, food aisle i would imagine so but we don't get tim tams here which and i would love mm. for them to be available so maybe Ve- vegemite also isn't available i don't know there's supposed to be a trade deal with australia but i'm not sure <laughs> if that means we get vegemite or not <laughs> uh we'll see we'll keep you posted uh to see if we get some come sunday (laughs) um and we'll see who we get come sunday for the men's final as well because uh the semi-final lineup is now set as you said joel and today we had two of the quarterfinals we had sasha zverev against carlos alcaraz and we had hubert herkatch against daniel medvedev let's start with that um late night match with zverev and alcaraz zverev won this in four sets and for the most part he looked very comfortable joel which i don't think many people were expecting i think we either thought it was going to be much much closer Mm. or or that alcaraz was going to be the one if any who would look more comfortable um what do you think was the the story of this of this match and this win for for zverev I mean, it was his his serve. I don't think I've seen him serve, particularly his first serve, perform so well on on such a stage as well. Because he's got a shocking record against top ten opponents um, at Grand Slams, and as a result, everyone was sort of writing him off against Carlos Alcaraz. But he came into this match and just he just blew Alcaraz away in those first two sets. Um, the percentages his first serving was at was incredible 89% in set one 90% in set two it did drop off a little bit in set three at 78% but then it rose again to 88% in set four and it just meant that Alcaraz just was not getting a stranglehold at all in any of Zara's service games and it meant that there was just a lot of pressure applied to when Alcaraz was was serving um was serving um you know in his service games so I would say it was a lot down to that and it was scary at times. I was I was like is this who is this Zverev because we don't we don't typically see these performances from him at this stage um of a grand slam. Yeah, we've um we've seen him crack out, you know, the, the massive serve with the high percentages before but like not consistently and not mm. at this stage of a grand slam. I think that the last time we saw him playing really well at a grand slam was that match against Nadal at the French, you know, where he had that awful accident yeah. and really like this was I guess similar in, in terms of his performance but it's actually yeah was his first ever win over a top five opponent at, at a Grand Slam uh, you know he has been to a, a Grand Slam final back at the US Open a couple of years back but you know even getting there he, he didn't beat any top five players to get there so it's actually quite a, a you know new territory really for, for him to get this win over Alcaraz today but he certainly deserved it with the way that he served. And, you know, he's just got to make sure he keeps those serving percentages up uh, if he's going to have, you know, a chance to, to come through the semis and then, you know, fight for fight for the win. Um, and obviously, as you said, that that's third set, his serving dropped off slightly. Alcaraz was able to to kind of get back. You know, Zverev got a little tight, went to a tie break. Alcaraz upped his energy, upped his level. But when it came to that fourth set, you know, they were kind of neck and neck and then Zverev just really um you know 
pushed it up another level yet again when he needed it most and he did well to make sure that mm. that kind of blip at the end of the third set wasn't um letting him you know letting it letting him um letting it affect him as the match wore yeah, on i i know and uh I've, I've got to admit kim first of all i actually went out to lunch uh with zverev five two up in that third set and you've uh, given I, up on alcaraz i've given up on alcaraz <laughs> yes exactly and i came home and the match was still going on and it was in a fourth set and i was wondering uh-oh what's happening here because um zverev has lost uh, you know he lost the us open grand slam final from from two sets up and i'm sure that might have been entering his brain uh going into that fourth set and just wondering you know carlos alcaraz the athlete that he is was he just getting going and you know was he going to come and steal this in five and um i think that again was so impressive from zverev in terms of just mentally yes he did have a dip um but he didn't let that affect the result and he was able to say get it done in in four sets and uh i think you know the fact that he's played so much tennis just to get to this point more tennis and more hours on the court than than carlos alcaraz i do wonder if that you know almost kind of simplified his strategy in the sense of well i've played a lot of tennis i'm going to need to do these things very very well to keep the points short to put as much pressure on my opponent as possible and he just knew i think that having a very good service game and a service day was gonna put all that pressure on Alcaraz yeah and I was thinking actually in hindsight you know Zverev came through against Cam Norrie in that that close five Mm. set match last set tie break Cam you know in retrospect given how well Zverev you know has seemed to have been kind of playing his way improving as as the tournament's gone on you know Norrie did really really well um especially considering that loss so I think positives for for Cam Norrie as well but the only thing with with Zverev that um you know he did have a medical timeout uh at the end of that third set should we be worried about a potential you know foot injury he was having some treatment or do you think that was more of a I just need a bit of a a rest maybe I need to regroup um I'm not sure I mean he was asked that by Jim Courier in the on-court presentation afterwards and he was like I'm fine. I'm fine. I felt Courier was like digging, trying to dig deeper in a story mm. that wasn't really there. And uh, I even think before the match, as I say, he, he played a lot of, of tennis, um, you know, to get here. And that was a line of, of questioning um, in, in his press conference. Um, and he said, you know, he said he's fine. He felt confident. And, um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he, he's, he's, I say, he feels like this is his moment. You know, he had that bad injury at the French Open, this is his time when you know he's he's worked his way back. He's worked very very hard, and now he's reaping the rewards of it. And you know he's putting I think putting right one of those statistics that we always talk about. His his you know when it comes to the men's grand slams is that record against top ten opponents because it's up there. I feel with you know talking about Andre Rublev's um, you know lack of wins at the quarterfinal stages of Grand Slams, uh, which we're going to get on to in, in the second half. But, you know, the fact that he can put that right now and hopefully build on that, I think it's a very, very exciting time for him in this season and moving on. And I think conversely with Carlos Alcaraz, after Wimbledon, I think he's only reached one tour level final in, in Cincinnati, not won any other trophy since. I mean... That that wasn't something I think that was kind of written or that we were expecting because I think we were just expecting from that Wimbledon victory that he would just kick on. Is it fair to say that he hasn't done that? 
I think it's fair to say it's 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 very difficult. You know, he's still very young. He's growing and developing, and yet he's you know he's already mm. got two Grand Slam titles. So it's fantastic what he's already done. And maybe our expectations were raised so high. He set the bar so high, high for himself, perhaps too high. You know, he beat Djokovic in an epic Wimbledon final, surprised you know many people, and we thought, gosh, he's he's a miracle. You know, mm. <laughs> what this this has you know no end to it. But I think it's he's probably just in that kind of natural down down part of the cycle that follows such a kind of momentous win and I'm sure he'll get back up there it's just a matter of time uh, but yeah it does seem that you know rather than Alcaraz it's kind of Sinner that's been the man of the last mm. six months and I think that's part of the ebbs and flows of, of the sport um, to be to be honest so I, I think we'll definitely get back up there no 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 doubt about it. I mean it was very surprising I'll say that first set um, you know, really uncharacteristic errors from Alcaraz, particularly on the forehand side. I think that's been um, a weakness, actually, of his over the last few months, just kind of it being a bit erratic at times. And um, he just didn't really get going until that third set when he was down. And he needed, I think, to be more aggressive early on. Yes, I understand that there are times where your opponent's just serving too well and you can't do much about it but you just want to kind of stay close to them and he wasn't he wasn't able to do that and um yeah I think it's it's sort of you know I don't want to say back to the drawing board but um there's certainly things there I think that he can prove and it does feel at the moment that we have Alcaraz he's a Grand Slam champion but you know in terms of the teams we're talking more I think about Yannick Sinner who's not a Grand Slam champion Mm. as a bigger threat to to the players around him including Novak Djokovic and I don't feel like we're we're there with with Alcaraz where we were with him after he defeated Djokovic at Wimbledon yeah it was a little uh too little too late I think today for for Mm. Alcaraz and yep I think certainly go away he's got a lot of work to do and hopefully this will only motivate him to go back and do that because he'll see that there was a golf today in performance and he was by far you know not the better player at all um but he's too good a player not to kind of put that work in and you know he's got possibly you know another 15 16 years on the tour so uh, I think we'll give him the time and space to uh to do that uh in the meantime and we'll enjoy that the tennis that we do still have to be played mm. in this tournament I mean talking about Zverev kind of fighting his way through with some, you know, tiredness, perhaps, you know, how how fresh is he? He's up against Daniel Medvedev in the semi-final. Daniel Medvedev has openly said he's not fresh. Uh, he said uh, after his win over Hubert Hercatch that he was just destroyed. Um, he's just he was feeling it really, really tough physically, very tired. He was thinking about like his flight home because he, I think he just thought he wasn't going to be able to get the job done. I, but I he did came enjoy through. that insight. I did really <laughs> enjoy that insight from him when he was talking about, uh, well, I think it was like Rusevori when he was, mm. was two sets down and he was, uh, he was plotting his pl- fight, flight path home. Um, he's probably thought, is that a new career, air an yeah. airline pilot is actually like plotting the exact route. Well, well, Kim, actually, all the all the all the storms at the moment in the UK, we're seeing some crazy diversions. I I feel uh, so maybe 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 he he's he's getting ahead of the game there. Yeah, well, maybe it's better that he just stays foot in Australia because uh, you know the 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 world travel is not mm. great at the moment. Uh, but yeah, six four in the fifth over Hubert Hercatch. Uh, 
I, you guys did say the other day that, you know, if it's going five, her catch is not winning it. Uh, he's got to get the job done, you know, in three or four, you know, make the most of, of his serve. But yeah, it did go deep. It did go late. And uh, Medvedev came out on top. Uh, I feel like as well, you know, with Medvedev, he was saying how, you know, he's feeling very, very tired. He just, the match was going on and on. And he was kind of started coming into the net, just stepping up a bit starting to serve and volley mm. because he just thought well you know if i if i'm if i'm out of here i'm you know I'm flying home i'll just go for it should he not just play like that from the off maybe joel is there an argument that he's just why get to this stage just have that as your tactic from the off maybe you're going to be more efficient more effective you know uh, and you'll stop yourself getting embroiled in in these long matches you know he's spent 16 hours on court so far and he's just um you know does he have anything left yeah, I think it's I think it's tough. I think I would say that you know when when you are feeling say lethargic and, and tired and out of gas, then it does force you to think differently. And maybe at the start, you know, maybe there was a, like some relative freshness there, and he was like, right, I'm just going to go in with my normal strategy that I go in, you know, against someone like a, a very good, you know, very good server like Hubert Hercatch. But um, the more it went on. I think there's a there's an argument to say that the less energy you have, you know, the more you have to think about, okay, what are the most efficient strategies I am good at on a tennis court that can get me points um, and get me points quickly with short rallies. And, and as you saw with Medvedev, he decided to come to the net. And I think with her catch, the more and more I was, I was kind of watching it, especially in that fifth set, it just became a bit too passive for me. And it felt like he didn't really want it and that was where to me that the experience of Medvedev you know getting to to Grand Slam finals going further than this stage um, I think really kind of came to the fore and I think it just showed that maybe he he wanted it more and he was willing to adapt and I think her catch on the other side of the net was just sort of you know just playing the way he does and hoping that that Medvedev was going to falter. Yeah I think her catch you know he said afterwards that he was disappointed uh, that he couldn't have done anymore and I think he he needs to go away and do a bit of um, development work doesn't he because in those situations in those fifth fifth sets he's got to really step it up and frustratingly Mm. for him you know he had um, quite a number of break points but most of them were saves he just wasn't able to to get those opportunities when he had them and so it wasn't that he wasn't generating them it was just uh, not kind of converting and uh, but you know he he did well to to kind of uh, to go to go I guess five sets, but with the serve that her catcher's got, you, you know, you're just waiting for him to kind of put it together fully and kind of make that Grand Slam final because he, I think he can do it. He just needs that little extra. It's a, edge, it's a weird he? one, isn't it? Because I think you know, there's an argument to say that some people look at him and think he's just a server, but actually, he's got a lot more weapons than than just his serve. You know, he's great. Mm. He's got great touch at the net. He moves very well for quite a tall fella on the tennis court it looks like it's all there but it's just like coming to these moments particularly I say in that fifth set when it comes down to like some fine margins small percentages it seems to go to to his opponent and um you know I certainly think that there's you know there's going to be opportunities there in the future but I just think yeah today it just slightly went you know the the other way and I think again he'll learn that he can't just sort of let these moments kind of pass him by I think he needs to be you know a bit more aggressive you know we, we spoke about that with with Cam Norrie and how he's developed that that mindset and and you know look look where that took him it it, it pushed Zverev 
it um, dumped out Casper Ruud, and I wonder if her catch needs to be even more aggressive than um, you know than at times we saw um, in that match against Medvedev. Yeah, I think so. And so, well, Medvedev is through uh, to another U- uh, US Open, Australian Open <laughs> semi-final. It's, it's a hard eighth. court. It's a hard court. <laughs> it's a hard court, you know. Um, it's actually his eighth Grand Slam semi-final, his, his third mm. in, uh, you know, in the AO. Uh, we, we've seen him at this stage, yeah, many times now. And I mean, we've seen him in the Australian Open final two times before. And he's, you know, he's lost both of them. So if he does get the win over Zverev, he... Uh, He's going to be hoping for third time lucky. I mean, he does have a winning head-to-head over Zverev, uh, 11-7. to So they've played quite a number of times. Uh, Medvedev has won the majority of their kind of recent encounters. They actually did play quite a few times last year. Um, Medvedev kind of came out on top in the last two, which were both on hard court. I mean, who are you going with? Um, do you think Medvedev's finally going to run out of steam? Do you think Zverev's that little bit fresher? If he's going to serve like he did today, are you going Zverev, perhaps? What I find interesting about this, Kim, is that although they've played lots and lots of times, I think they've played 18 times in total, they've never played at a Grand Slam before. This is going to be their first ever encounter um, in, in best of five at a Grand Slam. And I'm not going to lie, the more... <sighs> You know, I think before the tournament, I would have, you know, backed Daniel Medvedev. You know, hard courts are his home. He's got an incredible record, you know, on them. Um, the titles he's won, et cetera, et cetera. But that serving, I just can't get out of my head, that serving performance mm. from Zverev against Alcaraz, if he can keep that up, I think he's going to have a very, very good chance um, of coming through, particularly because Medvedev, I think will still be feeling the effects of of that match against her catch. I wonder if if Zverev, as I say, he'll wanna make sure that he has a very good serving performance. But I think on on the Medvedev game as well, he just wants to keep the rallies going as long as possible. Maybe even bring in some drop shots. Just make sure he makes Medvedev move across the court. And I think he did that very well against Alcaraz, particularly with his volley game. I thought that was you know a very 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 strong but yeah i do think against yeah medvedev i'm i'm giving the slight edge to to zverev based on what i've seen in the uh, in the quarters yeah i would agree i think based on the the zverev serve if he can keep keep it up and he hasn't you know peaked just in that one match uh then i would give him the edge but i think it we could see well we could quite well see in another you know five set match and actually yeah. uh we've actually had the open era record for most five set contests at the Australian Open in this tournament it doesn't uh, surprise me 33 so far uh Medvedev and Hercatch wow. being the 33rd and yeah so it's it's like we were talking about I think last week you know we were seeing a lot in the earlier rounds especially just these grueling draining long encounters seem to be just you know increasing um year on year why do you think that is do you think it's just an outlier for the australian open or do you think there's specific reasons we've seen so many in the men's singles draw yeah i think you know the balls the 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 weather conditions the the style of play is evolving and just i think it's kind of culminated um Mm. and you know perhaps there is a slight luck of the draw element you just you know you you just have kind of more matchups that are more equal and like really can't you know can't find um you know a deciding factor between two players but yeah it's certainly not 
great for the schedule when there's loads of five set matches, yeah. uh, especially on the show courts, you know, pushing things late. And, you know, arguably, yes, a five set can be exciting, can be thrilling, full of roller coasters, ups and downs. But, you know, just because it's a long match doesn't mean it's always good quality. So, you know, is longer, you know, more dramatic tennis necessarily what we want to see increasing where are we going to maybe go for that conversation of should we play five sets you know it's come up in the past is that going to bring that argument back i don't know maybe i personally don't think that's an award you want um or should be maybe even celebrated because it does Mm. just feels like that's that's too many and because there are so many i feel like there must be reasons for it and as you as you pointed out i do think it's to do with the conditions um a combination of things but yeah the conditions the balls um the atmosphere and all that um it it can be it could be to do with you know the players and actually it's just very competitive and you know lower ranked players are are closing that gap on the on the higher ranked players but yeah, I think there's things at play here that I think needs to be sorted out. So this number actually comes down because the exertions that it's putting on on players who, you know, ultimately one person's going to have to go win seven matches to win this Grand Slam. I think it's I think it's too much. And uh, yeah, I think that number needs to come down or, you know, they need to alter conditions or whatever it is to give themselves the best chance to stop that. And I think it actually will make a better tournament because, as I say, mm. scheduling becomes less of an issue. Players are more happy. Fans don't have to stay at 2am. You won't see yeah, empty stadiums with like five people in their seats because it's so late, etc. So I would look at that as a statistic that I'm like, okay, let's try and bring that down next year. Well, there are three men's matches left in the tournament. If they all go five sets, then they would beat the uh, U- uh, the, the US Open 1983 record of 35 <laughs> uh, five-set matches. So we'll see if that happens. Uh, on the women's side today, we had two quarterfinals. We had Chin Wen Zheng against Ali, um, Anna Kalinskaya. This went three sets. Uh, Zheng battling back from a set down to win, uh, go into her very first Grand Slam semi-final. It was 6-7, 6-3, 6-1. So as the match wore on, she just kind of started running away with it, winning the, the uh, 10 of the last 11 games of the match after dropping that first set. Joel, uh, Zheng now, you know, joins the likes of Li Na and, and Zheng Ji in reaching a semi-final for, for Chinese, you know, women's tennis. What did you make of her performance today? It was actually a bit of a strange one, I thought. I did watch this match and um, I do think one of the reasons she ran away with it was just simply that, that Kalinskaya, her body broke down on her. You know, she was having treatment on her leg um, at the start of the third set and it looked like it was impacting her movement. And actually in that first set, she she played a great set of tennis, um, you know, went to a tie break and, and she took it. And I and I wondered, oh, are we on for are we on for yet another upset you know, in that in that top half of the draw. And um I do think with Zhang, you know, her serving could have been better. It wasn't the the most complete performance I think we've we've seen from her, but certainly I think that you know she would you know seize the opportunity, um, you know, since there was an opening from her opponent and, and took it. And um, you know, and, and just, you know, has now got to a you know, has now got to a Grand Slam semi final for the first time. Um but yeah, that first set for me was very kind of up and down and um I did wonder if we were you know, if we were gonna be talking about Kalinskaya being in the semi finals. 
Yeah, which, you know, wouldn't have surprised me. I mean, Zhang is the, you know, the 12th seed. She's by far the, the higher ranked of the, of you know, of the two of them. But, you know, Zhang to get to this stage, she's played well, but she hasn't actually had to face a top 50 opponent. So, and obviously Callan Sky is outside the top 50. So it's, it is difficult to necessarily, uh, you know, compare players against, you know, the, the higher ranked echelons when they haven't, you know, placed up against them and it sort of gets to the stage anyone's for the taking isn't it but I think after dropping that first set I was impressed with how she she handled it you know she she didn't face a single break point in in the Mm. second and third set she was you know quite clean and just as it went on just really kind of in in full swing I think there maybe were a little bit of of sign of nerves and and tension in that first set because I say that it's almost like she's the favorite now you know in the in this top half of the draw there's this expectation from nowhere really um that that she's you know she's she's now expected to get to you know the the ladies final from that top half and uh, I did wonder if that you know that that factored on her to begin with and she was sort of you know finding her feet and um yeah and I don't know as I say Callan Sky I thought she played a very 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 solid match I mean she was she certainly I don't think was kind of impacted by any sort of nerves and um it sort of felt like Jung was was chasing Kalinskaya to to begin with and then it sort of flipped I think and um yeah Jung kind of took all the the momentum away yeah and she is now a top 10 player as well she will be in at number 10 in the rankings when the tournament finishes she didn't even know that she was in the in press afterwards so they're on court she, uh, it, she was saying her, her team don't tell her anything and she was like oh I didn't know I'm in the top 10 for the first time probably better that way if it's gonna make mm. you think about the you know the expectation yeah. and the pressure maybe it's better not to know uh, just focus on your tennis and and getting the, the win in that particular match but and she's still super young you know she's born in 2002 so she's she's got a you know big bright future ahead of her. So uh, definitely one that you know has been on the radar. She reached the quarters at the U.S. Open last year. So you know me and Chris did actually predict that she would go quite deep at this tournament uh, because she was looking at the draw. It seemed like she really could have that pathway coming through this section, and she's she's gone and done that. And let's see if she can go that one step further and you know she's as you said she is the uh the favorite to do that you know she's up against Jostremska next uh in the semi-final so you know Zhang is the higher ranked player she's high you know she's a seeded player so all eyes will be on her and you know she's gonna have millions of people back in China uh you know, watching and tuning in so she's got you know the weight of 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 her nation <laughs> upon her I mean as as will Jostremska you know obviously playing for Ukraine so um obviously both very passionate i'm sure to uh to progress through to their first final i mean let's talk about yastremska because she came through against linda noskova in the uh the, the earlier of the quarterfinals today again a completely unseeded uh quarterfinal this one is uh six three six four straight sets yastremska through her her dream run doing a raducano it's still on joel uh what did you make of her today straight sets over noskova I think this was more Noskova not playing not playing as well as we we've seen her this tournament. She was just nowhere near the heights that that she played against Iga Swiatek and at at this stage of her career Noskova does give you that. She gives you that. She gives you that match. She is a little bit inconsistent and Jostremska just took she just took full advantage of it. She hit 19 winners. She was very very solid on serve. Took the big moments and um 
yeah, she's now now into the semi-finals. It's it's been very impressive from her. As I said, the way she started this journey, she was fighting for her life in in the qualifiers, but you know she's gone from strength to strength. I feel in in the main draw, and um, you know Noskova, she'll be disappointed. You saw that in her body language, I think, and I I do wonder. Almost her body language, I think, was too negative on the court. It wasn't. Um, it didn't give me like any sort of <laughs> positivity around. All right, I can actually, I can actually do this. You know, she she didn't shake the hand of the umpire. At, you know, at the end of the match, and um, uh, yeah, I think she will be disappointed with. She just didn't bring her. Just didn't bring the game that she knows that she is capable of playing. And uh, I think that was what what that was one that was one of the main reasons that Yastrzemski came out with the win. A big learning curve for Noskova. You know, she is she's the younger of, of the two. They're both both young, but she's she is much more inexperienced. You know, Yastremska's been on the tour uh, a couple of years longer. She you know, she has been twenty one in the world, you know, she's down at ninety three at the moment, but she has been up at the, the higher end of the yeah. ranking. So she does have that that bit more experience, albeit not a quarter final of a of a Grand Slam stage. Um but yeah, I think Yastremska, you know, she took that moment she took that opportunity she's she's actually the first qualifier to have made the semi-finals here since 1978 so this doesn't happen wow. very often like you said it's only been Raducanu and Podoroska have done it uh in the last couple of years so uh she's making making history um which is you know fantastic and I think looking back you know she's had some she's beaten some Grand Slam champions hasn't she Von Drusova, Azarenka um she's beaten some top players obviously Noskova had beaten Shriontek but um, I feel like Yastremska, yeah. Perhaps also, you know, Noskova had had that Svitolina walk, pretty much a walkover, played three games, and then Svitolina retired. That's going to disrupt your your flow and your rhythm a bit as well. And I wonder if that made her a slightly kind of uh, rusty, maybe coming into the match as well. Yeah, I think so. And uh, it's interesting because you think that um, you know Jung hasn't played anyone, you know, near the the top of the rankings to get to this stage. Well, Yastremska, as you said. Taken out Von Drusova, taken out Azarenka. Yes, she did step on court with Svitolina, but um, I feel like she is she is like battle tested with those qualified victories as well. Whereas you've got Zhang, who's not really been tested and and has had lower ranked competition, and you feel like she's going to be in for a much different test when it comes to that semi final. Yeah, I do wonder if Yastremska, just having played a slightly higher. Uh, rank mm. of opponent maybe yeah like you said more 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 battle tested um ready to to go but we will see we'll get on to previewing a bit of the women's semis later on just another um news story from today joel some lovely delightful Chris made, news. made sure i put this in the uh in the yeah. script <laughs> well he has appeared on our podcast previously this is rohan bapana he has become the men's doubles world number one or he will become uh the men's doubles world number one once the australian open has finished uh he's officially the oldest world number one ever of any i think uh main discipline in tennis bar um bar the quad wheelchair rankings but for um for men's doubles he has by far exceeded um yeah what the previous mike record Bryan. age 41 yeah, yeah mike Bryan, age 41 rohan bapana age 43 and 330 days old world number one um I don't want to, I feel like by saying that I'm just making him sound like I'm just like rubbing his age into it but that's not <laughs> that's not what we're doing we're just celebrating the fact that he's he's still going going strong you know it's it's amazing and he's credited his physio and yoga for helping with that so I'm yeah, going to keep gonna my say, daily he, yoga his practice yoga, up. <laughs> yes his yoga he said he, he thinks it makes him calmer 
um, on the tennis court. So maybe maybe I should get involved in some yoga, Kim. Yeah, I think you've done a bit in the past. I remember you saying that you have dabbled in it. I don't mm. know if you want the listeners I to know I don't have that, the flexibility. Um... <laughs> I certainly have lost that, that flexibility that I did get from my few yoga sessions that I did uh, over lockdown, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. So a fantastic for... Um for Rohan there and I think you know he's also Matthew Ebden who's who he's playing with also kind of has the same number of points but Ebden has played more tournaments than Bapana hence Bapana edges him in the rankings that's that's how they sort of calculate it they've just got to go and and cap it off now and and win the men's doubles trophy I uh, I feel like I mean it's it really is an incredible achievement I think from from him in terms of longevity you know he's not he's not done that much um sorry he's not if you look at his his titles his grand slam titles in in doubles and mixed tumbles i think he's got one solitary mixed doubles crown which he won with dabrowski um quite a few years ago and i think you know at the time everyone was a little bit like oh i'm glad he got his trophy before his grand slam trophy before you know he he retires and little did we know i think you know these these so these years on that um he's reached the top of the tree and it just shows i think with tennis generally that you're getting these amazing athletes perform into ages that we did not think were possible you know we're seeing that you know with Novak Djokovic at the very top of the singles rankings we've got Rafa coming back as well and we're seeing it also in in doubles and um it's just an impressive it's just such an impressive feat i think I think what's the most impressive thing is that he's becoming it for the first time. You know, it's it's whereas Mike Bryan, you know, he was 41 when he was number one, but that wasn't when he first got to the ranking. So that's the kind of the also the key difference. It's like, you know, he could have retired, but he's he's still going strong and, at, at, you know, doing the best he's ever done. So I hope he does get the, the double side. That would be a really, uh, you know, the cherry on the on the cake. Uh, but let's take a very short break now do join us in the second half where we'll be looking back on all the quarterfinal action from day 10 at melbourne park and we'll also be looking ahead to the semi-finals so do not go anywhere millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast. Now we're going to look back at the quarterfinals that we saw uh, on Tuesday at the, on Monday, sorry, at the Australian Open. Uh, and that was Coco Goff against Marta Kostuk, as well as 
Barbora Krachikova against Sabalenka, uh, Djokovic against Fritz and Sinner Rublev. Uh, let's start with the ladies' quarters here. Coco Goff coming through against Marta Kostuk. Uh, 766762. Uh, Coco Goff battling through here. Uh, she didn't have it easy. This was she, ugly, uh, Kim. This was very, ugly. Yeah. Is this the ugly match she just needed to get out of the way, Joel? Or are you concerned oh, that she's not playing her she, the, the, where she needs to play? At? I mean, she's got Sabalenka next. She cannot play Sabalenka the way she played this match. I think she hit 57, uh, sorry, 51 unforced errors in this match alone, um, which was quite surprising, actually, because I think she she's hit that similar number um, collectively in her four, first four rounds. So... You know, for this to happen was a little bit of a surprise, but I think this was just a case of just getting the W, just coming through it. And, um, you know, her coach, Brad Gilbert, he's got a fantastic book called Winning Ugly. And I think this certainly epitomized it. And uh, I feel like if that that book can get republished anytime soon, then this match maybe deserves a mention because I think this this certainly embodied it. Um, from Coco Goss' point of view. Yeah, she was 5-1 down in that first set, saved two set points, uh, you know, clinched it on a, on a tie break. Uh, but, it, you know, she, she shouldn't have had to have fought, needed to have no. you know, fought back from 5-1 from down. If she wants to win this title, she can't afford to play like she did in this quarterfinal. Um, but like you said, like, it is just about getting the job done, getting that win. You know, she'll step on court, maybe against Sabalenka in the semi and, you know, we won't see this sort of performance so uh it, it you know it doesn't give perhaps the the most mm. confidence but you know we know what she is capable of doing so i think the most important thing is is that she got through got through the match uh, against Kostuk, who you know is a can be a very tough tricky opponent uh, when she's playing well certainly you hope it's just one of those you, you can just like come through not have to think about it and yeah arena sabalenka i mean she's going to be a completely different proposition to Marta Kostuk so I don't feel like you know it's there's going to be any sort of hangover I think from from this match because it's just going to be a completely different matchup and it's going to require a completely different strategy when when Coco steps onto the tennis court I mean Coco Goff does have a winning head-to-head over Sabalenka you know she beat her in the US Open final so they have played quite recently uh, but Sabalenka has l- looked so far so good you know mm. coming through all her matches in straight sets she beat Barbora Krasikova I mean she's looked the best I think she's looked the best um yeah in in the tournament and you know in, sorry in the ladies singles and against Krasikova who I thought Krasikova was going to give her some some ish, you know some troubles she's had some very good runs uh, you know in the past at the Australian Open she likes to play on this court but when she came up against Sabalenka, Sabalenka just had too much firepower. She had too much variety and she just had too much control because it was such a, ultimately it was such a stroll in the park in the end for, for Sabalenka. And, um, you know, to do that against a, a former Grand Slam champion, I think that was a real statement victory. I mean, you can't bet against Arena Sabalenka in a Grand Slam quarterfinal. She's played eight. She's won all of them in straight sets. <laughs> so she loves wow. the Grand Slam quarterfinal. Good good record. Uh, perfect record, in fact. And, you know, for the last six majors, she has reached the semifinals or gone better. So she's really building this kind of Grand Slam consistent streak, which is fantastic. Is she unstoppable? Well, I mean, she is in the sense she hasn't won the last six slams. <laughs> but, she is unstoppable you know, at the moment. She, She's unstoppable, but she, you know, she doesn't want to kind of keep 
getting to these places and losing you know she wants that streak to to, mm. to matter more uh interestingly serena williams is the the, the only the, the last person who reached uh six or more semi-finals in a row she actually got to 10 uh in a row so we'll see if sabalin can, can go further the rest of the season but yeah she'll be up against coco goff who does lead the head to head four two so i mean you've got to think both of them, they know what an opportunity this draw is with, with you know, Zhang and Yastremska on the other side. They've both surely got to be thinking, if I can get through this, I'm, I, I'm you know, the strong favourite in the final. Do you think they will be treating this as the ladies, the ladies' final? I mean, at their peril, I think that would be, you know, um, wrong to do so because you can't take anything for granted. And, you know, the, the irony is you might, you know, win, win your semi and then, you know, kind of stroll into the final thinking you know I've got this and then you know some a, a surprise is sprung on you but mm. I think yeah like deep down I think most of the tennis community would certainly be thinking yeah surely the winners coming from Goff Sabalenka they're both Grand Slam champions they're both really in in good form we've seen we have seen some great tennis from both of them especially Sabalenka this fortnight and you know she does look like the the, the hot favorite I think I mean, weirdly, I feel like the only times we've seen Sabalenka in, in trouble was in that critique of a match when she's so far ahead that she almost has, I think, a little bit of a lapse in concentration. And there is that opportunity for her opponent to come back in because, you know, she was a, well, I think she was a double breakup and, um, you know, let critique of a retrieve one of those breaks. So I think from her point of view, she just wants to just keep on it and, um, you know, keep it on it until the until the handshake and not let your your opponent back in but regardless of i think that that head to head i'm sort of leaning towards sabalenka given as i say not 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 necessarily the the history of the two but more in the here and now the tennis i have seen over the last couple of weeks it's hard not to think sabalenka at the moment yeah i i agree with you there and um yeah i think yeah, it was only a bit of complacency against Krzykova. She, you know, she lost her serve in each of the sets, but at that point she was, you know, a double break up both times. So if you're going to lose your serve and drop it at any point, it's, you know, kind of a 4-2 when, you, when you're a double break up. And she obviously stopped Krzykova from getting any sort of momentum and clawing her way back in each of those sets. So, so far, it seems like she's playing champion tennis. We'll see if that continues. Uh, let's just quickly look back at the men's quarterfinals as well from Monday because we did have Novak Djokovic in action against Taylor Fritz. Uh, Djokovic coming through in four sets. 7-6-4-6-6-2-6-3. The scoreline kind of, um, I think, doesn't really tell the full story of the match. The, the first two sets took a very, very long, 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 time, long time. Two and a half we hours. We need to talk about the scheduling <laughs> at some point, Kim, because this was one of the... I mean, the, the golf match went on for, for three hours and now yeah, this match also in the day session, those first two sets, I was wondering, are we on for a crazy, crazy, possibly even record late finish in the night session just because of, um, yeah, like the, the just going on the, the first two sets of this because Taylor Fritz and his, his defense was very, very impressive, particularly how he played the, the big points because I don't think I can remember this, but Novak Djokovic in those first two sets, he was 0 and 15 at one point on breakpoint conversion. So it just shows, I think, how well Fritz was playing in those big moments. And um, yeah, he was he was frustrating Djokovic. 
That's not a stat you hear very often, is no. it? No. I don't think I've ever heard that to... before. It's, 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 uh, I mean, it's obviously incredibly wasteful, but I don't think, you know, this, this was down to, to Djokovic. It was down to Fritz and mm. just the, the way he played those points. And, you know, he really went for it. And, um, you know, he got his due rewards when that second set, you know, that, that went to him. You know, he battled and battled to stay in, stay in, and then got the opportunity and grabbed his moment and grabbed the second yeah. set. Absolutely. And, and, you know, Taylor Fritz, that, that opening game alone was like 16 minutes. So that was a, a <laughs> was sign of what we were signs. in for. I know. <laughs> um, and I think really, you know, at two sets, you know, after two sets, it was a set each. We were thinking, oh God, what's what's going to mm. happen now? But then that's when Djokovic, you know, really stepped it up. The, those those last two sets, just um, you know, coming through the champion mentality, six two six three, um, you know, much more kind of standard. The inevitability then set in, didn't it? Yes, the the fun and games were over for Taylor Fritz. You know, he he fought on, obviously. Not saying he gave up, but um, Djokovic, yeah, found that kind of extra bit to to get the job done and uh yeah certainly started capitalizing on break points there and uh <laughs> you know stepping up his serve as well uh but you know taylor fritz i think compared to where he he has been in some of the slams recently he'll be pleased i think to have got to the quarters because you know anyone who's uh, you know watched break point recently will know how gutted he was to, to lose early you know this time last year so i think you know this is a positive mm. um had very slam good tournament. generally getting to the, the final eight and he'll be pleased with with that and it's no shame losing to Djokovic in four sets is it uh, on this court in particular uh, Djokovic will of course face Yannick Sinner in the semi-final Sinner coming through in straight sets against Rublev uh, Rublev now now zero uh, for 10 uh, quarterfinals at Grand Slams he he cannot get over that line Joel um, no w- what could he have done differently in this match to to maybe achieve that because it he seemed like he was up against it <laughs> win that second set tie break i think is is one of them is one of them things from uh from five one up um that was really when the, you know the writing was on the wall when you know sinner clawed his his way back and and nabbed that tie break really from rublev um and yeah the, the third set was really just kind of a to me anyway it was just a little bit of a foregone conclusion and uh you know yannick sinner i know we've seen at times ominous tennis from Novak Djokovic but I've got to say Yannick Sinner this tournament I think he's played the most he's played consistently the best tennis in the men's draw and Rublev unfortunately I just think he was a little bit powerless kind of to do anything about it he put up a good fight it was close he probably should have got a set but similar story I think to to how you know, the, the Taylor Fritz match kind of panned out um, against Novak Djokovic. I think in the end, we were going to feel some sort of inev- inevitability that given the, the the wave of momentum that Sinner is on, it was always going to end up with him in the semifinals. Yeah, I think that second set tie break, just kind of the main crux of this match, you know, mm. Sinner coming back, like you said, from one five down in that tie break to, to clinch the set. And I loved what Sinner was saying about um, that kind of, tie break after you know he said you know it was it was tight but he he loves to to play that those pressure points you know he practices for that he he, he enjoys it he says it's exciting I think that's such a a nice healthy attitude to those moments you know rather than stress and panic it's it's excitement it's it's what you're there for so I love his it's, attitude. it's not the excitement I don't think for for Rublev who you know he was doing his classic banging his racket on on his on his leg getting frustrated um 
I I still think it's going to come at, at some point. It it just can't not. But at the moment, he is in that sort of perfect. I'm a top eight player in that bracket of of maybe five to eight. Am I in that top four? No. Uh, especially, you know, he had he had break point chances. He didn't take mm. any of them. Um, so you've got to take your chances. You've got to you got to maximize a 5-1 lead in a tie break. You can't afford to do that against the, the you know the, the very very elite players. And Yannick Sinner is, is playing like one of them at the moment. Uh very very elite players and he will be up against, you know, the most elite player of all, uh Novak Djokovic in the semi-finals. We've got that semi that I guess we all wanted because we really want to see what Yannick Sinner can can bring to the court against Djokovic at a Grand Slam. Um, you know, they, they did play at Wimbledon, uh, the semis last year. They played in the ATP finals final twice uh, at that event. They played at the Davis, Davis Cup. Cup. We were there for it. We were there for that. We saw Sinner save match points and win that one. Uh, mm. They were two piece last year. Uh, Djokovic has, you know, overall a, a better head to head against Sinner. But where are you thinking going into that one? Do you think, do you think Sinner can, can do the unthinkable, Joel? Oh, it's tough. It's very, very tough. And I think, you know, I, I, I've i just said on, on the Sabalenka kind of reasoning of, I think she's played the best tennis in the in the ladies' draw. So I think she's going to defeat Coco Goff. Although I think that about Yannick Sinner, I still have to go, I think, with, with Novak Djokovic just because of, because of the history. Yes, I know that, that Sinner has played well and has defeated Djokovic recently. And there may be some, some scar tissue there, but Melbourne is Djokovic's home. Rod Laver Arena is his home. He has got an incredible spell on, on this court. And it's going to be, it's very difficult to see, I think, you know, past that. But I do think we're going to be in for an absolute treat, given the tennis that we've seen from them and, uh, you know, what's what's at stake as well. Yeah, I think I'm hoping it's going to be a, a classic. Uh, I, I'd love to see Sinner get the win, but I can't bet against mm. Novak Djokovic, 10-time champion, semi-finals of a Grand Slam. It's very different to, dare I say, even, you know, Davis Cup best of three match. Uh, so I'm I'm going Djokovic as well. Uh, listeners, let us know. I mean, Chris must be believing in Sinner still because he's got him as his champion I, overall. I think that was a very, I mean, that might have, felt like a little bit of an out there prediction but it looks like it could be very very good um but it's hard not to it's hard not to think about Novak Djokovic I mean Kim just before we get on to looking at day 12 we just need to talk about the scheduling for this day because Mm. there was there was so much tennis crammed into you know one day the night session started very very late I mean they were almost probably breathing a sigh of relief that the Sin a Rublev match was straight sets, but regardless of that, it finished well, well, well after you know midnight. And um, it's again, we're just in the situation of I hate, I hate we're talking about the scheduling, but you know we have to. And do you think they handled it right in terms of holding their nerve and just keeping with it? Because you know there was talk of potentially moving, you know, one of the one of the night matches to to another court that ultimately didn't come to fruition. Do you think they were right to hold their nerve despite the night session starting so late? I mean, the day session started at one rather than 11, which didn't help. Mm. So they were already two hours down. Uh, And, you know, I get once you get to the latter stages, you might think, oh, yeah, we could start slightly later. But when you're having that kind of gap, you've got to get one set of crowd out, one set of crowd in. 
and the matches go go long and late. It's just you're you're asking for for these mm. these late night finishes, and yeah, I just think just. TV and money is 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 ruling it, isn't it? It's they're at the hands of the the TV schedule and the, do, the sponsors. Do you think the tournament they? organizers actually care, like realistically actually care because they're thinking they're thinking about the audiences and the numbers that are watching it and how yeah good it is for you know the rest of the world you know in Europe where it's on in our daytime. They're thinking about the yeah, the end product, the the consumer who's tuning in all around the world and. But when that starts to interfere with with player welfare, and you know, it's 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 a tricky one, and that's why we do keep bringing it up because it's it's fundamentally something that you know I am a bit at odds with, as are as are many of us. It just doesn't mm-hmm. seem natural to you know force someone to play tennis at three a.m. in the morning, and unfortunately, that's become pretty common uh, throughout the the history of this tournament, and even you know as we've seen in in other tournaments. So um, we'll have to see the effect of the new you know rules that are coming in uh what, what they will be obviously this tournament unaffected by by them at the moment so uh well let, let's let see but yeah it's important to kind of bring it up because it you know in what other world would you kind of force someone to yeah kind of an elite level athlete night, coming on a... you've chosen to do a night shift <laughs> yeah exactly it's uh it's a bit it's a bit silly and i think this is one of the the biggest talking which we're going to take away i think from this australian open is is in terms of because of or, or I think one of the reasons is is because of just how long some of the matches we are we are having it's it's just having these issues with the scheduling and if you want to split you know these matches over two sessions get one crowd in one crowd out make as much money as possible you're going to run into these problems and uh yeah it, it just doesn't feel right for an el- for elite level tennis and the product it's not a good look no i mean let's have a look at tomorrow's schedule because the ladies you know it's his semi-finals day they're both in the night session so they are um starting from 8 30 like gmt uh 7 30 i think local time in australia uh golf sabalenka's up first and then yastremska jung so uh yeah interesting they're, they're making them both night sessions but obviously they, they will have that that day in between you know before the the final and the final i believe is is always a night session anyway um prior to that in the day we do have uh the men's double semi-finals uh where we've got rohan bapana you know new world number one in action with his partner matthew ebden so the obviously the home uh fans will be loving that with ebden only seeds left being australian they are the only seeds left in the men's doubles they're up against machak and jang Baleli, Vavasori, Hampton, and Kurtfer in the other men's uh, doubles semi. Ooh, it's like, a, da- women's like a Davis Cup semis. semi-final, isn't it? Italy versus an all-Italian yeah. all pair versus an all-German pair. A pair. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reed also in action uh, on Margaret Court in the men's wheelchair doubles semi. So we wish them well. Um, and they are also Alfie Hewitt in the semis of the singles as well. So um, good luck to Alfie and Gordon. Um, but for the lady semis, who have you got, Joel? Uh, who have you got winning and how many sets? Well, Coco Goff, Arena Sabalenka. I'm going Sabalenka in two. I'm going straight sets and Yastremska Jung. Oh, it's tough. It's tough. I'm going to go. I'm going to go Yastremska in three. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. I agree with you to some extent. I'm going to go Sabalenka in two as well. I think uh, she's just playing that extra notch up at the moment from Goff. 
but I think Zhang Yastremska, that's that's again where I'm a bit like more on the fence maybe. I think Zhang in three. I'm going to go for Zhang. Ooh, um, okay. Let's, I think that's sort of, yeah, I think her sort of higher level is going to be, you know, on its day better than Yastremska. Even though she hasn't played a top 50 player, I think she's going to get the job done. But it probably might be quite a messy uh, up and down match, I think. We'll see. I'm going to probably regret that prediction. But, you know, it'll be uh, it'll be fun to see them both uh, tomorrow in our morning, uh, Australia's night session. And then, you know, of course, we will have the men's semis on Friday. And we'll be back uh, to round all the semi-final action up on Friday. Before we go, though, Joel... Some other news, not Australian Open related, but Rafa Nadal related, which is very exciting for me especially. It looks like he's going to be returning sooner than we thought to the tour. Uh, He's going to be playing in Doha uh, in February at the 250. This caught me off guard. Yeah, there was some reports because Laura Robson sort of spoke about this. And I think a lot of people sort of laughed it off because... We just feel like we naturally associate injury and Nadal equals at least six months out or whatever. But mm. uh, yeah, very promising signs. The fact that he's going to be on the, the player entry list anyway for, for Doha, which I mean, looking at it, it's a it's, it could be a very, very stacked draw for a 250. Yeah. Dan Medvedev, Andre Rublev, also Andy Murray's going to be there. there. Yeah. Andy Murray and Rafa, who is yeah, still down at 446 in the rankings, <laughs> <laughs> which sounds so strange to say. But yeah, hopefully he will be back. Um, and hopefully that's that's good news that he's feeling good. And the injury he sustained in Australia, was, you know, perhaps was, wasn't as um, as bad. And he's just like wanting to get back out on the tour. So let's let's see. We'll, we'll, we wait in hope. Uh, but yeah, we'll well, myself and Chris are due to be back on Friday. I'm off to find some Vegemite uh, in, in all the local supermarkets. Joel. The, the quest for Vegemite begins. Yes, I'm I'm going to do the <laughs> same. Let's see. Let's see what we do. And uh, let's see if we can come up with with some. But uh, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action still to come from the Australian Open. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there and if you like what you're hearing then make sure to leave us a rating and review on apple Podcasts or spotify you can also follow us on social media or email the show we're on facebook instagram twitter tiktok and youtube at tennis weekly pod you can also purchase tennis weekly merch at etsy.com slash shop slash tennis weekly podcast and email the show as well tennis weekly pod at gmail.com and do also check out our website, tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back on Friday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our semi-finals AO catch-up. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. <laughs>